Now, even right off from the top, I need a little help from you guys, okay? I, I need some real honesty. Where are my food people at in the room? Just, just food people? Wow, okay, we got some foodies, food connoisseurs. I always like to hear just kind of people's like food preferences, what you're kind of into. Any, any Mexican folks in the room? Is that your vibe, Mexican food, okay? Um, Italian, Italian people, my carb crashers? You can't raise your hand twice. You gotta pick one food category, okay? Uh, um, any uh, Asian Indian type people, kind of that kind of vibe, that's kind of my thing. But just Where's my just straight up American people? I just want some fried chicken chicken, some burgers, that's kind of your thing. Okay, I, I always like to just see where people are at this because something is really fascinating to me. How much of our lives are just organized around food? Think about how much time you're just even thinking about food. You're planning your meals for the day. You're thinking about the restaurant you have to get to. You're even thinking about what you're going to be eating probably after just this service. Food is constantly on our minds. And some of you actually are infected with a debilitating condition that I'm going to help you with right now. And it's called being hangry. Does anybody know this terminology? Your entire mood is driven by your sustenance levels. And if you're hungry, you are angry and hungry at the same time. You're hangry. That might be a new terminology for some of you. I actually had a food breakthrough here in the last year or so. Um, Nicole has been going full hippie on me the last year and a half. And what I mean by that is my wife is getting into having our own garden. She's making her own kombucha. We're doing like all this stuff. And she, one of these things in her hippie project has been making her own bread, homemade bread. Now, just so you know, my entire life, I never even knew there was anything outside of just what you buy at the store. I just thought it was the slight, like, that's what you do, right? And so I didn't even know there are all these different options. And so Nicole's like, hey, I want to start making my own bread. And I was like, do I have to participate in this? As long as I don't have to participate, I support you. Because I don't want to get involved in any of these strange endeavors. I was not supportive, okay? But then she went and made this first batch of homemade sourdough bread. And it came out of the oven looking like that. And I was like, that looks edible. That looks edible. And so I took a bite, and all I'm going to say is this. I am never going back, everybody. My sins have been forgiven. I have been washed clean in the name of Jesus. I mean, it has changed my life. Homemade sourdough bread. If you haven't tried it, I'm just saying, it will change everything for you. But I know you're like, Brian, why are you talking so much about food? Did you miss breakfast this morning or something? Um, I'm going somewhere with this. Today, I want to talk about the most famous food story we have in the whole Bible. And it's often referred to as Jesus feeding the 5,000. Maybe you've heard of this on, on some level. This is what is so incredible about this story. I mean, apart from Jesus rising from the dead, obviously, this may be, you could argue, his most famous single miracle. It is the only miracle of Jesus that is recorded in all four gospel accounts of his life. The only one. That says something about its importance in these writers' eyes. And if you just think about it, this is the single largest miracle Jesus ever performed just by considering the sheer numbers of people that it impacted in a single moment. And I'll just be honest with you guys, when we were starting to talk through this series with our teaching team, and we're like, man, I think that's kind of one of those famous ones we need to cover. I was like, what is there left to even say about this story? Jesus feeds people. The end. Let's pray. And maybe you'd hope I would end the sermon right here saying that, but I have a couple more things to say. I was actually blown away as we started studying this because I'm like, there ain't, there's nothing left to say about this. The, 
the Bible's bottomless, everybody. I mean, you will never get to the bottom of anything God wants to say in this. And I've just been blown away by just some of the fresh insights I even got out of this as we were preparing for this. And I think we're going to get some real cool stuff out of this. So I'm going to be in John 6 if you want to follow along. And let me set the stage here. This is a moment in Jesus' life when he's starting to travel a lot more. He's starting to teach publicly. He's starting to do miracles. And there's kind of some fame for him. People are hearing his name. Crowds are starting to gather. And at one point in his travels, Jesus stops and does an all-day teaching session in one location. He's preaching all day. I know some of you guys think I'm long-winded. Jesus went all day. Now, granted, he was much better. I'm sure, I'm sure he kept everybody's attention all day. But he's going all day. And at this point, a crowd of thousands of people is formed. We'll see here later in the account that it was 5,000 men, not including kids and women. And so many scholars would argue this is a crowd that could easily be 15 to 20,000 people that are just trying to get a glimpse of this guy that they're hearing as some sort of miracle worker saying all sorts of unbelievable stuff. Now, the problem, though, when you stay in one spot all day and you're talking is people start to get a little hangry. All right. So this crowd is a little famished. It's been a long day of sitting in the sun and hearing Jesus talk. And so Jesus says this in John 6, verse 5. Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? Now, you have to pause and just realize how ridiculous of a question this is. This is the first century. People aren't just about to hop in their cars and swing by Chick-fil-A on their way home. Okay, this is not a simple task. I mean, this is a very hand-to-mouth culture. Your entire life was focused on trying to get enough food, prepare enough food, have enough food. And so for enough people to get bread is just a ridiculous thing to even suggest. And Jesus' followers know this. Because in verse 7, it says this, Philip answered him, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have one bite. Jesus, it's going to take tens of thousands of dollars just for people to get one single spoonful. This is a logistical financial nightmare. Now, some of the Bible nerds in the room, you might have noticed, I skipped a verse. You're like, Brian, you're cheating. You can't just be jumping around the Bible like this. I actually think it's kind of interesting to read this verse next because it shows what's really going on. Look at verse 6. This is talking about Jesus. He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do, to test him. I actually watched a YouTube video recently, and it was by this, this famous psychologist, and he was talking about how to improve in any area of your life. So he said, if you really want to get better at an instrument, or if you want to get better at a certain subject, or learn a language, or even just make gains at the gym, he said, there's actually one single thing you must do if you actually want to see progress in your life. He said, you must get to the edge of your ability. He said, you have to bring yourself right up against that line of what is possible and impossible for you. He said, that is the only way you're ever really going to make progress in your life. And so Jesus, when we're talking about testing, he is trying to get his followers to the very edge of the limits of their faith. I got a fly flying around my face. And 
Hopefully he finds one of you guys before the end of this sermon. He's going to be hovering around my head for the next 20 minutes. <laughs> but he's trying to stretch their faith to the absolute max of what's possible and impossible. And there's just something we need to appreciate in this moment of how God will operate in your life sometimes. There are moments in your life where God will force you to the limits of your faith. That he will actually bring you to that razor thin edge line of what is possible and completely impossible in your own life. Did you see that little line though? He already had in mind. You see, God already has the answers to the test before he distributes it. He already knows exactly how he's going to handle the situation when he puts you into it. And he sometimes is even the one who puts you right in the middle of the situation in the first place. I'm even right, right now in this moment of your life. Just, just think about your moment right here. What for you right now in your life is impossible? What's just the one thing in your life right now where you're like, it's just not going to happen? There's just no way. It's a problem that can't be fixed. There is no solution. Now, every single, obviously, situation is different. I know there's nuance here. But just based on how we even see Jesus operating in this, it's worth asking in some of these moments, is it possible that this is a test? Is it possible that God is actually placing me in this situation to stretch me to the very edges of my faith? And God is sometimes seeing, are you willing to step into this test? Are you willing to put yourself on the very edge of what you think is possible and impossible in your life by God's power? Now, Jesus has a really interesting response to Philip's comment, because you would have thought this would have just shut everything down. And I mentioned how all four gospel writers have an account of this. And so I want to just get the, the highlights from each one so we can get a comprehensive account here. So in Mark 6, this is how Jesus responds. How many loaves do you have? He asked. Go and see. Now, based on how the disciples act, I think we see what they really think about this. So go back to John 6. Look what it says. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? So here's how at least I'm thinking. It's going. Jesus is like, hey, can you go find some food? And the disciples are like, oh, here goes Jesus on another crazy train. All right, Jesus, um, there's a kid with a Lunchable, okay? You happy? That's not going to feed everybody. You know, like, because what's the point of going through this massive crowd trying to figure out how we're going to make dinner for everybody? So I'm like, everybody just point to the kid right next to him. He's like, okay, that's what we got, Jesus. Can we shut this thing down? And right here, the story should end. Jesus goes, ha, 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 you're so funny, guys. You're right, because I was just kidding with you. We can't feed these people. Send them home. Or you, Jesus should say, like, you better call Domino's immediately and order everything they have. Like, this is where you're waiting for a practical solution. And one thing I actually do appreciate about Andrew, at least what we see here, is he's at least realistic. You know, you do need some realistic people in your life sometimes. Like, Jesus. There's not enough. What we have is not sufficient for what is required. That is just a fact. And sometimes it's okay just to acknowledge reality. You have moments in your life where you realize what I have, 
who I am is insufficient for what this situation requires. Just two weeks ago, I had an interesting conversation with a young dude in my neighborhood. I met this family a couple years ago. They moved into the state, and this kid is kind of special in the fact that he is a high premium level hockey player around the world. And so his family, they've literally traveled all across the country, and he spends most of his time in Canada to play hockey because for basically the last few years especially, he has been on track to go into the... Everything about his time, his life, his schedule has been focused on this singular goal. We're getting this kid into the NHL, and this is what he's wanted too. So every time I see him kind of at the park, they're hanging out, I'll get the catch-up from him. Hey, man, how's it going? What's the news? I want to hear, you know? And so just recently, about two weeks ago, I... I ran into him. I was like, dude, what's going on? He just got back from Canada and he's giving me all the updates. And so I was kind of like, so what's this looking like? He's kind of getting at that age. And the tone changed in the conversation. And he's like, Brian, you know, I was telling you about the trajectory I was on and everything. And he said, it just wasn't enough. The time I put in wasn't enough. My skills are not enough. The opportunities have just not been enough. And he said, I think the NHL door closed. And everything he's been preparing for since he's been five years old has just completely fallen apart. And he, and he just said, he's like, it's not enough. And so he's got a whole plan to go D1, which is still very impressive. But again, the line that just stuck out to me, he's just said, it wasn't enough. Now, we have these moments in our lives too, don't we? There's just not enough money. There is not enough time. There's not enough health in your body to do what's necessary. I'll just have a moment of honesty with you guys. I actually have some of these moments quite often, just in a weekly basis. I'll be driving to work some days. I'll be passing over I-25. I'll be looking at all the houses in our area, all the people. And sometimes I'm like, Lord, Look at all these people. Just think of all the needs represented in these people's lives. Think of all the desperate situations. Think of all the messes that are going on. Think of how many people are just even lost and so far from God. And I'm like, and we've got just this one church here on the north side of Denver. And I love this church, but I'm like, we are limited. We are limited in staff and money and volunteers and people. We don't even have a paved west parking lot. Half of you guys parked in rocks today. You parked in a bunch of weeds and rocks. We don't even have a paved parking lot on one side. And I'm like, Lord, how could we possibly put a dent into all of the needs represented in our community? I'm like, it's like we got a couple pieces of bread and some fish. We got one Lunchable to feed millions of people around Denver. It's, just, it's impossible. It feels insufficient for the need. You have to be so careful when your mind starts going down this road, though. When you start realizing the lack. Because there's moments where you will use your own limitations to define God's limitations. And you'll start putting them in your own little box. I actually preached a sermon earlier this year. And one of the points that I think fit really well with this, and the only reason I bring it up is because I know I forget all of my sermons. And if that's true, I know you forget all my sermons too. So it's good to get a little refresher every now and then. And so I said this in a message. You can be right about every detail of a situation and still be completely wrong about God. 
Andrew's right. There is not enough food. I mean, this is an obvious fact. But the problem is, your brain goes to this moment then too, where you say, oh, since I can't, God can't. And so we need to just shut this thing down, Jesus, because it ain't going to work. And you think about it with your own life. You have already decided in your mind that there's certain things God just can't or won't do in your own life. Because you can't. Now Jesus, again, just says stuff that any normal person would never say in the same situation. And this is how we know. He's much more than any normal person. Matthew's account says this. Jesus responds, Matthew 14. Bring them here to me, he said. Why? Why, Jesus? Can we stop playing games? <laughs> okay, are you going to eat it yourself? Do you eat it in front of everybody else while we all starve? Is that the plan? You're just going to laugh in our faces? Is that how we're doing this? Like, like, why are we even talking about this? Bring them here to me. Now you see here, Jesus has a completely different approach than we often ever have in our own lives. And he's trying to change their thinking again. They are on the edge of their faith limitations right now. And you see, though, the disciples, they're starting with the shortfall, right? Here's all the ways this isn't going to work. This is why this is drastically insufficient for what we need. And some of us in here, this is how your brain works, right? You're so good at thinking of all the reasons why it's not going to work. <laughs> right? Some of you guys, that's your brain. And we love you. We call you accountants. No, I'm just kidding. Um, they're being realistic. It's not a bad thing to be realistic sometimes, but Jesus flips the whole thing on its head. He says, well, let's not start there. Let's start with what you have. What do you have? What can you start with? What is already in your hand? Just bring that to me. That's all you need to do. I, I know it's drastically insufficient. Just bring it to me. And Jesus completely changes the way you should be thinking about your own life. And this is really what he's trying to point to. It's not about how much you have. It's about whose hand it's in. Oh, this is important. This is really important, okay? Please, please follow me here. Follow me. I want to have a little bit of fun with this, okay, just to illustrate the point. So I'm doing something very spontaneous right now. I, I need some love from somebody in this room. I'm asking for a volunteer. But I need a specific person, okay? I need somebody in this room who does not have much musical background at all and is not afraid to be put on the spot for just a minute. Can, any, can anybody just help me for like half a second? Otherwise, I will pick one of you. I know enough of you guys in this room. I will pick you, okay? Anybody want to do me a solid? I need you for like one minute. We got a helper up here? Come on, man. You want to do me a solid? You want me to do a solid? Merv, can you help do me solid right now? Come on, Merv, get up here. Come on, Merv. Can we give Merv some love? Come on, my man. <laughs> I knew you'd be a good sport about it. All right. So just so everybody knows, this is not a hustle or anything, Merv. I, I did not ask you before anything, right? This is not a setup. I did not. Do, do you have any musical background skills at all? I have zero. Perfect. Okay. How about you come up here? We want to make sure we can see this really, really well. And so I got Tommy right here in the back. Now, that's a guitar right there. You know what that is at least, right, Merv? Okay. So, I just, let's just see, let's see if God can do a miracle right now, okay? So, Merv, we're going to let you put this guitar on real quick. Tommy, hook him up right now. And, and Merv, when was the last time you played a guitar, probably? Uh, 
Six years old? Okay. Banged it against a chair. Okay, so it's been a couple years is what he basically said. So can we make sure we get that guitar turned up a little bit more? Can you just give us like a little Jimi Hendrix, Stairway to Heaven? <laughs> just, just, just give us a little vibe. What do you got on there? Just show us what you got, okay? <laughs> they... They are only trying to encourage you right now. That is all they're doing right now. <laughs> hey, that's all I need you to do. Thank you so much, man. We're not going to ask you to play anymore. So go ahead, hand that, hand that time real quick. I appreciate you, Merv. Thank you so much. Um, that was interesting. Now, Tommy, I, last, I was like, Tommy, you know, can you just rip some? Tommy's one of our awesome guitarists at the church. And I was just like, dude, can you just give us like a quick little riff or something? Okay, you got something? Just a little? Okay, what do you got? sound pretty good. <laughs> okay. Not bad for putting me right on the spot. Do you see where I'm going with this? You can have the same exact guitar. The same guitar. You put it in my hands or Merv's hands. You get noise. It's just a piece of wood with some strings. You put it in Tommy's hands. You actually get some music. Right? You take some random ingredients, you put them in my hands, you are going to get a peanut butter and jelly sandwich at best, at best. You put some ingredients in Gordon Ramsay's hands, you got yourself a seven-course meal fit for a king. You take just a random microphone like this and you put it in somebody's hands on the street, you might maybe get a fun karaoke night at the local bar. You take a microphone, you put it in Taylor Swift's hands, you are now selling over a hundred million albums and packing stadiums around planet Earth. Somebody saw Taylor Swift this last week, I think. Um, you take a couple pieces of bread and fish and put them in the disciples' hands, you have a snack. You take those same pieces of food and you put them in Jesus' hands. Oh, you're about to find out. It is all about whose hands it's in. It's, it's everything. What are you still holding that you need to put in Jesus' hands? Now, I don't want this to, to be, be some preaching cliche, you know, where you're like, that sounds great, but Brian, what in the world does that mean? Where in your life are you insufficient? Where do you fall short of what is required? And what Jesus is saying is, don't start with what you don't have. Just put that in my hands and let me start doing the work. Now, I'll just tell you guys, even just one of my own personal experiences with this, <clears throat> one of the areas I feel drastically insufficient often is actually just in my own pastoring and preaching. I promise this is not me trying to fish for some compliment or something after church where it's like, Brian, you really are good. Don't worry. We, we don't sleep that much. That's not what I'm saying. But I'll tell you guys, just real talk. There are so many Saturday nights. I look at my notes and everything. I'm like, this is trash. Like, I don't want to waste anybody's time with this. 
and they're just going to come up here and watch me lay a giant goose egg here on Sunday morning. That's what it's going to be. And it's not because I'm trying to perform or be impressive. I'll genuinely, guys, I want you to know, I know what's going on in your lives. So many of you guys, you are so busy. You got so many things going on. You got massive problems you're trying to navigate. I don't want to waste your time. I want to be helpful. I want to give you something that can actually help you in this faith walk, this journey with God. That's what I'm really trying to do. And so I just don't want to just totally, just completely make this a pointless exercise. And there were Saturday nights where I'm, I truly, I'll, I'll just go to God and I'll be like, Lord, I got a couple pieces of bread and some fish. This is not going to feed the need. With everything that's going on in people's lives, all the different stages and seasons of life people are in, there's no way this is going to be able to meet the need. I am falling drastically short. What I found, though, which is so paradoxical to me and, and incredible, is so often my insufficiency is my greatest strength. Because it is those moments when I feel totally dependent, utterly helpless, in such desperate need of God, weirdly enough, many times, those are the Sunday mornings when I sense God moving the most powerfully. When I see him move in the most incredible ways. Because those are the times when I most clearly put it in Jesus' hands. It's true. And so I, I just want to challenge some of you. Some of you guys are holding it way too tight. And you are insufficient. And some of you are painfully aware of that. And I just want to challenge you to do an experiment. The next time you start to go in freak out mode and you realize it ain't going to work, it's too much, stop yourself. Say, okay, God, I am placing this in your hands. I am no longer carrying this responsibility myself. I'm no longer carrying the whole weight on my shoulders. I need you to take this. And all I'm saying is, as you experiment with that, I am confident you will start to see some of the things that I've seen in my own life where Jesus just starts to do things with your lack that you could have never done on your own. It's all about whose hands it's in. And we're about to see what happens when you put it in the right hands. Let's pick the story back up. They bring this little lunchable to Jesus. Matthew 14 says this, and he directed the people to sit down on the grass, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the people. Now, just catch this. What I appreciate so much here is Jesus is making it very clear who is getting involved in this miracle. It doesn't say that Jesus quick ran over to King Supers and bought out the whole bread aisle, right? It didn't say he made a quick order on HelloFresh to make something happen. No, he is looking to heaven because Jesus even knows with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. We just sang that this morning. And Jesus knows. And what I love even about Jesus is says he's given thanks. The miracle hasn't even happened yet. I mean, if I'm Jesus, I'm like, Lord, you better make this happen. I'm on the spot. I got to look good in front of all these people. I and mean, we got miracles to do. I mean, they got to believe in me. He's like, God, you got this. Just perfect peace. Already thanking God because he knows what God can do. And so the bread starts getting distributed. And these five loaves and two fish start getting spread out among thousands and thousands of people. 
multiply it over and over again. And we see what happens in verse 20. It says, they all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men besides women and children. As I said before, we're talking 15 to 20,000 people. Ball Arena just got fed by a Lunchable. This is unreal. You want to talk about unlimited breadsticks? Olive Garden has nothing on Jesus. This is an unbelievable moment. And he didn't just say they took a bite and they had a little snack. No, it said they ate to their fill. People are stuffed. I mean, they're full. And not only that, you remember what Andrew said? He said, how far is this really going to go, Jesus? And Jesus is like, well, people are going home with doggy bags. That's what's going to happen. I got boxes for everybody. There are going to be leftovers. So even right here, just on a surface level, even if you've been a Christian for a long time, these are great refreshers. You just have to understand the God we have. First off, we have a God who provides. God provides everybody. He knows all your most basic needs. Not only does he know them, but he has a heart to provide for them. And not only does he have a heart to provide for them, he has the ability to meet your needs. That's the God you have. One thing I love about the Bible is it actually has all these different names for God because we can't possibly encapsulate all of who he is. But there's one name of God that I just love. It's El Shaddai. And what it means is the God who is all sufficient. The God who is more than enough. You have a God who has no shortage of supply. Your insufficiency is no issue for him. He has everything you need, but it's not even just that we have a God who provides. We also have a God who multiplies. Jesus just fed a city with a tuna sandwich. That's impressive. And God takes your little thimble of whatever strength or energy or resources and limitations you have, and he pours over an ocean of his grace and his power and his presence into your life. You know, I talked about even just our church and kind of making some jokes about just feeling even the limitations of all the needs here. But when I see that this is the God we have, it starts getting me a little excited because I'm like, okay, if that's how Jesus can work, where you just take what you have and you put it in his hands and he can multiply like that, what would happen? If a church, a group of people, even just like this, came together and said, okay, Jesus, we're just going to bring what we got. This is all the time I got, Jesus. These are my limited skills. This is all the energy I can bring. Here's me and all of my painful shortfalls. But I'm just wondering what God could do if a church had a genuine heart to come to him and just say, God, can you just multiply this? And what could God do through Northern Hills in these coming years if we just had that kind of posture before him? Jesus, we can't do it, but you can. And we're just bringing it to you. What kind of lives would be changed? What kind of impact could be made? What kind of legacies could be altered if we would just be a church that would have that kind of posture before God? I think that would change the world, everybody. That would change Colorado and the world forever because God multiplies. This is not an issue of our supply. It's everything about it being in his hands. Now, this is the moment 
where we should close up and pray right now, right? Let's all agree, yay God, right? He's going to do what you need him to do. Just bring him your bread, amen. Now that's a decent sermon, but we missed the whole point because this was actually never about bread. This whole miracle had nothing to do with bread. And we have to make sure we appreciate what Jesus was trying to do. Jesus shuts down the whole party. Everybody's going home and he moves on. But some people start following him. They're stalking him a little bit. And they finally find him again. And they start asking Jesus, where'd you go? What are you doing? We're looking for you. Come on. This is really exciting. And look what Jesus says in response to these people. Verse 26 of John 6. I tell you the truth. You want to be with me because I fed you. Not because you understood the miraculous signs. That's some cold talk from Jesus right there. He's like, oh, I know why you're here. You're here because you got a free lunch. And now you're really excited. And you want me to be your bottomless free vending machine for the rest of your life. That's what you want. Okay. You don't get it. And look what he says in verse 27. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. Again, just what Jesus is saying. He's saying, you think this is about you getting three proportionate meals a day so your stomach can be full. There is something so much greater going on here that you do not want to miss that I want to do for you. And so they're like, okay, what are you talking about, Jesus? What, what do you mean by the work of God and all that? So they respond to him in verse 28. What must we do to do the works God requires? Okay, you're talking about work, Jesus. Tell us what the secret is. What's the formula? How do we make this happen? Because we're hungry and we like how you just kind of give it to us. Now, verse 29, Jesus says, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he sent. Not at all what they were expecting. Because now they start asking all these sorts of questions like, well, how are we supposed to believe in you? Who are you to say that, you know, we're supposed to come to you and put all our faith in you and all that? And they start pressing, resisting a little bit. And this leads Jesus to make one of the most powerful, profound, famous declarations he ever made in his whole history, ministry here on earth, where he says this in verse 35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. And so this is what Jesus is saying. He's like, you must understand, Jesus did not come to give bread. He came to be bread. Now let me explain that because I know that sounds strange. The bread Jesus multiplied was never about just feeding people's stomachs. It was not about just getting some free meal. Jesus was just trying to give them a small taste of what he wanted to do for their souls. Of what he wanted to provide for them deep down in their greatest needs. Abundant, overflowing provision in this life and even into eternity. You see, Jesus doesn't want to just give you a meal. He wants to give you true sustenance for all of your greatest desires, for your deepest hunger. And that hunger is for a genuine relationship with God. 
with his provision for your sin, freedom from all the things that we struggle with, hope for eternity, true satisfaction in his love and his presence in your life. Once you have this bread, it is like homemade sourdough for your soul. There is no going back. You can't have the old stuff after you taste this. Jesus says, you will never hunger again. I am the only one who can truly satisfy you. And some of you in this room, you have tried many things to satisfy yourself. You have tried to find happiness in a lot of things. You've tried to find contentment in a lot of things. And you've come up empty every single time. It's never enough. Jesus is the only one who can fill that ache and that hunger in your soul. He's the only one who can do it. And so this is what Jesus is offering. This is what the miracle is about. Not just a meal. Himself. True fulfillment. True sustenance. Everything you need is in Jesus. Thanks for tuning in to this week's message. If you would like to learn more about Northern Hills, you can go to nhills.org. You can also follow us online on Facebook, YouTube, or Instagram for more updates and events. We look forward to seeing you next week.